Morning church. First week without Andrew, but let me tell you, this is not a precedence here. Um, I'm only good for, for one or two sermons a year. That's all I'll be doing. Um, so today we're going to look at the 12 spies sent out um, to explore the promised land. Um, but first of all, I just wanted to go through a little bit of history on the promised land or the land of Canaan. Um, so in Genesis, um, this is what we read. Um, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's house, household to a land I'll show you. A land I will make into a great nation. I will bless you. He took his wife Sari, his nephew Lot, all his possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So God told Abraham, Abraham and Abram, um, had a name change. Um, to leave his country, his current home, and settle in the land that God had led him to. To a land and settle there and become a great nation. The land that God led Abraham to was the land of Canaan. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east and to the west. All the land that you see I'll give to you and your offspring. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that anyone who could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the lengths and the breaths of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tent. There he built an altar to the Lord. So Abraham lived and died in Hebron, and his ancestors lived in Canaan until the days of Jacob. So we should all know the story of Joseph the son of Jacob. He was sold into slavery by his brothers and ended up becoming the governor of Egypt where a famine breaks out in the land of Canaan. God tells Jacob to move his family to Egypt where his son Joseph can look after them and this is how the Israelites end up in Egypt. They were later enslaved by the Egyptians and, sent, and spent the next 400 years in captivity which brings us up to where we have been studying for the last few months. The ten plagues of Egypt, the exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, the Ten Commandments, and last week Andrew looked at the golden calf. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that we can be here today under your roof. Um, please help me to bring your word um, to the people and please open the ears of the congregation and open the hearts of the congregation um, to listen and accept your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so we're going to look at um, the book of um, Numbers 13. I nearly said Exodus 2, actually. Numbers 13. Um, so the 12 spies explore the promised land, and in Matthew 7, 13, 14, Jesus teaches us about the wide and the narrow gate. Um, so if you've got a Bible, um, I'm going to go through um, Numbers 13 um, and then I'm, I'm going to go through some verses and then sort of maybe speak a little bit on it and then go through the next verses till we get through the chapter. Um, so that's Numbers 13, um, 1 to 3. I'm going to miss a little bit in the middle because the little bit in the middle is, is like the, um, you know, this person, the son of this person, this person, the son of this person. It just explains who the 12 are. Um, and I can't say half the name, so I thought I'll leave that bit out. Um, the Lord said to Moses, 
Now this is verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. So at God's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Now if we look at numbers in isolation, this text is a little bit misleading because it sounds like Moses was lying back one night minding his own business and God came to him and said, I want you to send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites. Send one from each tribe. But if we read the other account which is in um, Deuteronomy one twenty one. It gives us a little bit of a clearer picture of what really happened. And this is, um, this is that verse. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. This is Moses talking. Go up and take possession of it, of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors told you. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Then all of you came and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are going to take and the towns we're going to come to. Then Moses goes on to say in the next verse, the idea seemed good to me. So Moses starts off as this man of faith saying, go and take possession of the land. The Lord has given it to you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. But the people then come back to Moses and say, let us send men ahead to spy out the land and bring back a report. And Moses then becomes a man of doubt and is swayed into agreeing with them. This, the decision to send out spies into the land of Canaan did not originally come from God. And why would it? God had already told them that it was a land of milk and honey. Go in and take possession of it. This was the decision of man, not of God. But God in Numbers did sanction this spy mission and commands Moses to send one person from each tribe, 12 in all. One point I'd like to mention here is that Canaan is a land of milk and honey, but it wasn't always a land of milk and honey. If you remember the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah, they left Canaan and moved to Egypt because of a famine. A famine broke out and later they had to move back because Abraham lied to a lied to the Pharaoh about his marital status, that of him and his wife. And then Jacob moved his whole family to Canaan, from, from Canaan to Egypt again because of a famine. Now some 400 years later, God has turned this barren land into a land of milk and honey. Um, so we'll read on from um, verse number 17 um, to verse number 20. When Moses sent them out to explore Canaan, he said, Go through the Negrev and onto the land and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So Moses instructs the explorers to report back on basically two items. One, the people, and the other one's the land. So the people, are they strong or weak? Are they few or many? 
Do they live in countries or in towns? And are their towns walled or fortified? And then also the land. Is the land good? Is the land bad? Is the soil good or is the soil bad? Is it fertile or poor? Is the land cleared or forested? And see if you can bring back some produce. But God had already told them this. They should have already known the answer. For when the Israelites had just entered Egypt, or just left Egypt, God said this to Moses in Exodus 13.5. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the land he swore your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. God had already told them, he already told the Israelites who lived there and what the land was like. It was flowing with milk and honey. And he'd already instructed them to walk in and take possession. In Exodus 6 8, we read, And I will bring you to a land I swore with uplifted hand to, lift, to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I'll give it to you a possession. I am the Lord. So after the ten plagues, being freed from Egypt, seeing the sea open in front of them, seeing the demolition of the Egyptian army, being led by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night, being fed daily by manna, the Israelites still lack faith. They are basically saying to God, we know you told us you gave us this land to go in and possess it, but I just want to see what sort of opposition we might encounter. And we know you told us it was a land flowing with milk and honey, but we just want to go in and see like, just how good it is. Will it be worth the trouble? This is a total lack of trust in God. But this shouldn't be a surprise because this is how they've reacted to every trial that they've had to face since the first plague. Now, I don't know about you, but every time I've heard this story, I have always assumed the Israelites had to conquer the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites and throw them off their land. And obviously, this is what the Israelites believed because they were very keen to find out just how strong and how organised their opposition were. But why do we all assume this? The Israelites, after being enslaved for hundreds of years, walked out of Egypt without lifting a finger. No military uprising, no rebel army. The Israelites did nothing, God did everything. Then when they were trapped against the Red Sea, with the Egyptian army about to massacre them, the whole Egyptian army was wiped out, again without Israel lifting a finger. No resistance no fight for survival, the Israelites did nothing, God did everything. So why do we assume this would be any different? When God commanded them to go in and take possession, they should have believed and just walked in and taken possession of the land without a fight. God was going to take care of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. How? I don't know. But up until this point, God had never told them to conquer the land. He had told them to go in and take possession of it. It is true, nevertheless, that in 40 years when they returned, 
they now have to conquer the land. But I wonder if this is a consequence of them not wanting God to do everything 40 years earlier. Just one side note on this, right at the end of that verse, in brackets, it did say this is the season for the first ripe grapes. This gives a timeline of when this took place. The first, ripe, the first grapes ripen in this season around the end of July, which means that they have been travelling for around two months at this point. So we'll read on. Numbers 21 to 25. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ariman, Shez, Shezai and Tamai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zon in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites had cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So here, here the 12 travel through the land of Canaan for about 40 days. In these 40 days, they travel around 400 kilometres from the desert of Zin towards Lebo Hamath through Negev to Hebron, finishing at the valley of Eshkol, where they cut a cluster of grapes. It's interesting that Hebron is mentioned here, because if we go back to the story of Abraham, Abraham lived near the great trees of Mamre in Hebron. He died and was entombed there. But even though they travelled through Hebron, they never mentioned the tombs of their ancestors, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob and Leah, they only mentioned Aliman, Shesai and Tam, Tamai, Tamlai, the descendants of Anak. The Anaks were a large people thought to be fierce warriors. Their great encouragement could have been the graves of their ancestors who kept possession of their land but instead they chose to focus on their greatest discouragement, giants, which they believed would keep them from possessing the land. One of Moses' instructions to them was to see if the land and soil was good and bring back produce. So they cut off a single cluster of grapes and it was so big, two people had to carry it on a pole. They also brought back pomegranates and figs. Was the soil and conditions good? Well, I've never seen a cluster of grapes that would take two people to carry it back. So I would say the conditions were ideal for agriculture. So let's move on to Numbers 26 to 29. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them, to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. We've even seen the descendants of Anak there. The Amakarites live in the Negev. The Hittites 
Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea among the Jordan. So what God, about, what God had said about this land was indeed true. It did flow with milk and honey and the size of the grape cluster showed how blessed this land of Canaan was. The community must have been amazed and excited at the size of the grapes and the quality of the fruit they had just seen. This is what the return spies said in Deuteronomy. It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But this joy was about to be inflated with one word, but. But the people who live there and the cities are fortified and very large. God had told them that it flowed with milk and honey. He even told them the races of people who live there. So nothing has actually changed. God has already told them all this. Everything he had told them about this land is correct. All the Israelites needed to do was walk in and take possession. One step in faith. One person had this faith. We read this in Numbers, Numbers number 13, 30, that we read on. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb was in no doubt. He trusted God. He had seen the promised land and it was as God had told them it would be. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of the land. The God of your ancestors told you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Caleb was not afraid and he was not discouraged. Um, we read on from Numbers um, 31 to 33. But the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack these people. They are stronger than we are. They, are spread among the Israelites. they have spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that had, they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nef Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in their eyes and we look the same to them. Caleb trusted God and was not afraid. These men did not trust God and were full of fear. They had no faith. Yes, alone in battle, these people, the Israelites, may have fallen, but they were not alone. God was with them. Just two months earlier, they would have all died at the hands of the Egyptian army, but God prevailed and saved them. But that was now all forgotten. This report was, was an exaggeration full of lies and was aimed at misleading people because of their fear. In fact, when you read it, it hardly makes sense. The people were of great size, stronger than we, but this land devours all living things. They are large and strong, but they are being devoured by the land, which I would think would make them weak and frail. They can't be both. And of course they have Anak, who are now so large they make them look like grasshoppers in comparison. Now just for comparison, I, th I found this very interesting, um, I want to show you what the Canaanites thought of the Israelites. 
after reading this from Joshua 6, and I know this is 40 years later, but even after two months, I'm sure the Canaanites would have heard what had taken place in Egypt and the drowning of the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. So this is Joshua, who had sent out two spies into Jericho and they were staying with a woman called uh, Rahab in Joshua 6, 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to um, Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God in he- is God in heaven above and the earth below. So the Canaanites melted in fear at the name of the Israelites and their God. If the Israelites had trusted the God that their enemies feared so much, they may have marched in to see the Canaanites fleeing just at the sight of them. We will never know. So let's look at our second reading, Matthew seven thirteen to 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. <clears throat> Think of this wide road like a wide, strong river flowing, in the, flowing to the ocean. You jump into this river and the gentle but strong current just moves you along. You don't have to make any effort. All you have to do is travel along its course. If you, however, decide that it is not for you and you start swimming against the current, you'll find it very difficult and eventually you'll tire and the current will turn you around. Man on his own cannot swim against this spiritual current. The narrow road, on the other hand, is like a mountain stream. But but in this stream, we are walking against the current. We are walking, as we are walking, the rushing water is pushing against our legs and the ground beneath our feet is rocky and unstable. It feels like we are going to fall at every step and occasionally we do fall and we are washed back a few steps. But we pick ourselves up, take the rod and the staff of the Good Shepherd, and with his support, we can move forward. The wide road is about self, going with the flow, following the crowd, following the ways of the world, living for you. The narrow road or stream is restrictive, not following the ways of the world, serving God, putting faith in Jesus, dying to self, and serving him. The Israelites took the easy road. They lacked faith. They did not trust God. They had no reason to send the 12 spies. God had already told them it was a land of milk and honey and he had already told them to go and possess it. But they lacked faith. They doubted God. They had to see it for themselves. And when the 12 came back with the 
gigantic cluster of grapes, which proved God was correct. They still lacked faith. They still doubted God. They believed the reports of men over the word of their own God. They took the wide road, the way of men, not the narrow road, which is the way of faith. And the wide road leads to destruction. The wide and the narrow roads are about choice. The Israelites chose to send out the 12 spies. They chose to listen to the report and ignore the evidence of the fruit which was right in front of them. We all have been created with free will to make our own choices, but choice comes with consequences. Adam and Eve were the first to choose the wide road. The serpent made it sound so good. And they paid the ultimate price. They lost their immortality and eventually they died. The Israelites, lacking faith, chose the wide road and they would also pay a high price. They too would also die. All adults living at the time of the spy mission, except Caleb and Joshua, would die before seeing the promised land. The Israelites did not want to enter the promised land, the land God had prepared for them. So they wandered around the desert for the next 40 years until that generation died. That is consequences. The consequences of our sin is death. Because of sin, we are all on the broad road. We are all heading towards the wide gate. It is our natural choice. No effort required. Go with the flow. Follow the leaders. Follow everyone else like sheep to the slaughter. Or we can choose the small gate and walk the narrow path. Step out in faith. Follow the Lord Jesus who died to save us from our sins. Who is the gate? Who is the way? Who is the life? So that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Choose faith and enter the promised land. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us to grow in faith daily. Help us to trust in the path you have set for us. Help us to be obedient to your word. Please lead us along the narrow path. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.